Just think that God wants you to know this morning that you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be good enough to come into his presence. You don't have to be good enough to be accepted by him. He just wants you. And I just, this isn't what I've got to say this morning, but I'm just blown away by the fact that in God's kingdom, it's not your natural giftings. It's not the skills that you can use that come first. It's the presence of Jesus in you. He wants relationship with you. And out of that, flow the anointed giftings, flow the anointing that God has put on your life. I just believe that's here for a few people this morning. You might think you're not worthy. You might think that you haven't got a place in the kingdom. You're not sure God can use you. You've not had the right training. You've not done it for enough years. You've messed up this week, today, this morning. During church, you've messed up. You're perfect for the kingdom. You're just right. God has a habit of using the most inappropriate people in the Bible. It doesn't matter whether you've got any money, any time, any skills. If you just make yourself available, he'll do wonderful, wonderful things. And more than that, he's not so bothered about what he'll do with you. He'll just be bothered first about knowing you. I'm just hit by this passage. Um, We're going to carry on with Philippians that we started with, Philippians 1 in a moment. And I think in the circumstances that Paul's been in, I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, he's, he's imprisoned. He's not sure if he's going to stay alive. And if I was faced with anything even vaguely like those circumstances, um, I'd have panicked. I'd be asking for prayer. I'd have thought that God had left me. Woe is me. And it does the opposite. And I guess just the challenge this morning, before I've even begun, is if we let God use the circumstances of our lives, if we let God use the events that happen and come up that we might think are counter to his purposes and maybe the enemy intended them for harm, God will just do something amazing. Yeah. I just apologise if I yawn this morning. I was up late last night. I had a prior engagement uh, for Emily's birthday party that was booked being the Mondans, I think June last year that that was planned. It was wonderful. Thank you, guys. Uh, I wouldn't have planned a one o'clock bed before speaking this morning, though. So if I do yawn, that's why. Blame James. Uh, As I just mentioned, we've been covering Philippians 1 the last few weeks. Um, Background is the Philippians have sent a gift to Paul, who's in prison. Uh, Paul's written this letter back to them in response. Um, Certainly, if if anyone had the intention of, of kind of imprisoning Paul to try and stop his work and the spread of the gospel has definitely gone pear-shaped. He's kind of making new converts, encouraging the existing ones. And just generally, it's, it's not really happened. Imprisoning him has, has had the opposite effect. Um, so we pick up in Philippians 1. We're going to read verses 19b through to 30. And we're going to read them from the message this morning. I don't apologise for that, but I have prepared it on the screen. So if you haven't got a copy of the message in front of you... Uh, you can read along. It's everybody looking at the screen. It's much quicker than looking it up, look. 
Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up, they gave me a pulpit. Alive I'm Christ's messenger, dead I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. As long as I'm alive in this body, there is good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I'd hardly know which to choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you are going through, I am sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around a while, companion to you as your growth and joy in this life of trusting God continues. You can start looking forward to a great uni reunion when I come to visit you again. We'll be praising Christ, enjoying each other. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him, and the suffering is, much, is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. So just to kind of quickly look back over that. Paul is not feeling discouraged because of circumstances. If he is, he's not letting it show. He's not showing the negative or resentful feelings that I think I might be inclined to show in his situation. I'm sure you would all behave exactly like Paul. Um... But yeah, God is being glorified regardless. Circumstances don't mean that God is bad in Paul's book. I maybe fall for that trap occasionally when things are going well, then God's good. And when things aren't going so well, then clearly he's left me. Um, you never feel that way. Graham doesn't. No. <laughs> he's really not hanging on to his earthly life. Um, you know, he, he, the quote from him there, life versus even more life. I can't lose either way. Life here or life in heaven. He's got a clear purpose. He says that as long as he is in this body on earth, there's good work to be done. That seems to be his only focus, really, is expanding the message of the gospel. Given the choice, he couldn't really choose whether he'd prefer to die and be with Christ in heaven or stay alive. I find that quite a challenge. We'll come back to it in a minute, but I'm quite attached to this life. You're probably not. Um, he instructs us, he, sorry, he instructs the Philippians to live a life that is a credit to the message of Christ. And he gives a few pointers of what that might look like. Um, he says, watch your conduct. He says that you should be united, singular in vision. Um, and he kind of gives an outline that that vision is contending for people's trust in the message about Jesus. 
that's the core of it. We could have any number of focuses or, or focuses around that, but at the end of the day, as part of the body of Christ, we want to contend for other people's trust in the message of Christ, for the people here, the people in our church, but also the people who aren't yet in our church or aren't yet in the body of Christ. We want to contend for them to know that message, and that is our purpose as a church. Graham's nodding, got it right. Um, and finally, he urges them to remember that when suffering, suffering or struggling for Christ, it's as much as a gift as trusting in him in the first place. And as, um, what's his name? Tall boy, Tim. <laughs> Tim reminded us last week that what we have is good news in a world that rejoices in bad news and is full of bad news. And I was just really hit by that. And when we have suffering, it's not bad news like the world has. We can behave more like Paul. We can see what God is doing in it. We can see what testimony he's gonna give us. And whatever the outcome, even if it's our death, then Christ will be glorified. Um, my reflections on that are that Paul is 100% sold out for God. 100%. That's his life. His life is a sacrifice that is given over to God. He's not holding on to any part of it for himself. He's devoted to telling people about Jesus and encouraging those who have already heard the message to continue on. He's not bothered about losing his life. In fact, he does seem rather keen to be in heaven. He's excited about heaven. I find this a big challenge. I haven't got Paul's circumstances, which I'm grateful about. I've got way more freedom to tell people about Jesus than Paul has. We could say that there are restrictions, that there are laws and things changing, and that's true. But comparatively speaking to other people in the world and to Paul in his circumstances, I have an amazing freedom. Yet my life doesn't compare to Paul's in terms of its impact. And that's a challenge to me. One of the things that we've touched on a few times there is that part of Paul's focus is born out of this hope on the future, on heaven. My looking into the distance often kind of heads towards the next meal or the next big event. Um, and I think taking the rest of the time we've got to have a little thought about heaven would probably be one of the best things we can do to try and gain that focus that Paul has in standing up. I hadn't used, even used the title yet, had I? That's the title. Um, hello? No worries, Jake. Um, I'm just going to read you a short, a short bit from Narnia. Uh, I'm sure lots of people have heard of the Narnia books. If you haven't, there's some children's books written by C.S. Lewis. They're absolutely full of imagery of the gospel. Um, there's a character in it called Aslan, who's a lion who represents Christ. And we're going to join the story at the end of the last book. There's, I don't know, seven books, and this is the very end of the very last book. The children in the book and their family have just been in a big railway accident. They've died. They don't realize it yet. And they're face-to-face -face with Aslan. Now, they've met Aslan lots before they've been to be with him. Um, however, they've always been sent back to normal life. And we're just at that point where they've died and they're face-to-face -face with Aslan. Then Aslan turned to them and said, 
You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, We're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. And you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leapt and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. Their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. This gets me, sorry. <laughs> now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Starting to sound a bit more appealing. <laughs> What's so powerful about the happily ever after? What does it, why does it do that? Or is it just me, to quote Graham? I believe that God has written eternity in our hearts and stories go deep. They get past all the, the defences that we put up because we let them come in. And we want stories to end with the happily ever after because God has written eternity on our hearts. He's put in our lives that the plan for our lives that he made is a happily ever after in heaven. That is the good news. Amen. God has prepared a place for you in heaven that is the happily ever after. And I'll just tell you two things that I get duped into believing as lies about heaven. And this world would have you believe at least one of them. And that is that it's not real. That death is the end. That you die and that's it. There's no more. That is the end of your body, your spirit, your soul, your mind. Gone. The result of that is that you try and live to some kind of excess in the here and now. Because this is all there is. We've got to take everything we can. No wonder we have so much greed or so much selfishness because if you're living thinking there is nothing else, then you've got to get everything now and experience everything now. If you're living like this is just the beginning, this is the title, and what's really to come is then, then this doesn't really matter because it's what's then that matters because that's eternal. The other lie, uh, and I don't mean to offend anybody this morning, is that heaven might be a little bit like eternal church in the sky. And as much as I love Amazing Grace, the bit that says, you know, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing God's praise, 
could be heard to say something like, heaven is eternal singing. And for some people, that would be heaven. For other people, that could be a description of hell. Um, equally, eternal liturgy in heaven, or eternal cold pews, or eternal sermons from me or anyone else might be considered not really what heaven seems like, and we'd rather hold on to this earth a little bit more than that. Don't hear me wrong. There will be worshipping God in heaven, big style, and you will feel much better about it, however good about it now you feel. Heaven will be something else. It will be amazing. But it isn't eternal church in the sky. We won't be sat in this room. So I think we've missed something, and maybe this little video clip will help illustrate. Apologies for a bit of cheese. It says in Revelation 21, verse 5, I am making all things new, or... I am making everything new. It doesn't say I'm making new things. It says I'm making all things new. And we're told in the Bible that at the end, when God finishes this world, that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be the way he intended it to be. And I just wanted to use that clip as a way of saying, you know, it's, I'm sure you've all seen it. It's the end of Titanic. Rose is, is at the end of her life. And then it, the film pans down and you see the ship rotting at the bottom of the sea. You all know it sinks. You haven't, haven't spoilt it for anyone. Um, <laughs> you've had 20 years to watch the film. Um, and then this light, as you saw, it wasn't that bright, but this light comes along and the ship is, is restored to its former glory or better than. And you go in the ballroom and all the good people from the film are there. And it's kind of like this this restoration of what was meant to be in the first place that was then tainted and went wrong. And heaven, heaven is life the way God intended it to be. It's his kingdom, he's the king and he's present. Instead of this tainted version that we have, full of sin and death and destruction, heaven is free from death, mourning, crying, pain. It's complete fulfillment, complete knownness, complete love full of faith, full of hope, full of love, it's not going to be boring. Not yet. <laughs> we'll have words after. Um, so just to bring it all back and, and close, really, um, Paul's hope for heaven gave him the strength to stand up. He was focused on the destination so much so that he didn't get distracted along the way. He was headed to where he was going, and he wasn't going to stop at the services or take a detour. My prayer for me, and for you if you want, is that God will put in our hearts a hope for heaven that affects the way we live here on earth now, that affects the focus, the purpose, the direction of our lives, that affects our conduct and the way that we live. And God's just prompted me to use this prayer that I didn't write recently, but he's reminded me of um, as a, an opportunity to respond. I'll get Mark's puppet on the screen, um, give you a chance to read it, and then in a moment I'll ask if you want to stand and read it with me. Um, it's quite personal to me. It's a prayer that I want to pray for me, and if you want to pray it for you, you can join in. So, just.
if you want to pray that prayer, feel free to stand up to mark it or sit down if you prefer. We can all pray together. God, lift my spirit. I feel like I'm living life distant from you. I need to feel you close. I need you to be my security. I can't cope with my security being in earthly things. I need your help to live a life close to you. On my own, I move away from you and don't remember what it is to be close. Organize my priorities for me. I want the life that Jesus offered. I don't want to settle for anything less. Amen.